Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Content Show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of content in just 60 minutes. So we all know that case studies are among the most useful and valuable kind of content that any B2B company can have. In fact, according to the 2023 SaaS Marketing Case Studies report from Uplift Content, SaaS marketers rank case studies as the most valuable type of content to increase sales. And in fact, this is the second year in a row that case studies have been ranked like that. So, And I know other reports have found similar results in other industries, but the Uplift report also found that only about 12% of SaaS marketers are very satisfied with their case studies. So apparently there's a lot of room for improvement. And to help us understand how companies can produce better case studies, my guest today is Emily, Emily Amos. Emily is founder and CEO of Uplift Content, the company that created that report. So Emily, great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really cool to have to be able to talk about a report with one of the, the people that put it together, you know? So I, when I looked at the, some of the results from the, from the report, I didn't find it surprising that SaaS marketers see a lot of value in case studies. And I don't think it's just SaaS marketers, you know, a lot of, most marketers do, but were you a little surprised that so few thought that their, that their own case studies were like really good? No, I don't think so. Mm. I think a lot of us as marketers are lean towards the perfectionist side mm. of things. And so honestly, when you have a scale of one to five, I don't think a lot of people go one or five. I think there a lot of results go two, three, and four. And so I, I'm not that surprised about that because of those perfectionist tendencies. I also think that in the tech world, marketers, as well as a lot of other types of job roles, everyone's bumping around from company to company, role mm. to role very frequently. And I think it's pretty normal that if you move to a new company and you inherit someone else's content, you think, well, I could do better. <laughs> right. And then the third piece of that is is simply that things change. Best practices change mm. over time, especially online. So our expectations for what works well doesn't stay the same year over year. And so we're constantly improving and tweaking and learning more about our readers and what how they want to digest the information. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So fair enough. So So that statistic from the study doesn't, it doesn't mean that most case studies absolutely suck or anything like that. No, it just I means that so. among the people that you that you surveyed, they're for for all the reasons you mentioned, right? There's there's they they at least in that moment weren't weren't kind of inclined to be like, yeah, our case studies are absolutely perfect and they could never be improved. I mean, that's never going to be the case. Yeah, so, I don't think I don't. Most people don't think they are terrible. I yeah. think they all just think, yeah, we could do better. Yeah. But I mean, I'll say on the other hand, and this is just my opinion, I guess, but when I look at case studies, I tend to be a little underwhelmed. You know, it's I'm not even sure what I'm missing or like what it is that I'd like to see. But I don't know. It's They all kind of seem the same a little bit, not very interesting or exciting. I kind of 
know already know exactly what they're going to say. You know what I mean? And I wonder sometimes, is that just how case studies are? Or are there ways that you could kind of mess around with them and make them way more interesting? I don't yeah, know. What do you think? that's an interesting position. I think that you're right. They do, they are very traditional assets. They tend to follow a very specific pattern. Yeah. Challenge solution results. And that really hasn't changed over time. I think ultimately what it comes down to is creating a content asset that has multiple different ways of viewing the information and digesting the information. So it has to be well-written. There has to be storytelling components to it. There also has to be strong design. There needs to be little call-outs and visual elements to help the reader um, move through the story in a in an easy way. Um, if we can throw some video in there, great. It's yet another way for different people to digest that information. We all have our preferences. Personally, I prefer to scan. I don't like watching video that often because I know that I have to watch the full video to get mm -hmm. to get the message. If you give me a piece of written content, I know I can scan the headlines and hop in and hop out wherever I want to get just what I want from it. So I always lean towards the written side for that reason, mm -hmm. unless I'm trying to figure out something like spreadsheet formulas and I I just need like a, a how-to step-by-step, yeah. then I'll watch a five-minute YouTube video. If you absolutely have to. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But everyone's you. different. Everyone yeah. is different. And so it, as marketers, it's really important <clears throat> that we realize that and that we dish up this information and this these stories in all different ways for all of the different people that are going to be reading it Yeah, or looking at it, I should say. So, so let's dig in, in, in the report, let's dig into an, another part of it. Cause you identify kind of three specific ways that case studies can be improved based on, on what you were, the responses you were getting. And so, and, and they were better metrics and KPIs, right. To show the, the results section using case studies more often and adding more video. So let's, let's take those one by one a little bit. Sure. So let's start with the better metrics, better KPIs. Like what, what's your sense of kind of where that's coming from? Like what's the problem with the typical kind of metrics and KPIs that are, that are already used? So I think you can approach this from two different angles. So one is what actually is a good metric and what's mm -hmm. a great metric? We can have numbers like, we have 29 customers. We have we have three different geographic locations for our offices. Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Not relevant to the solution. So you have to really be careful with what numbers you're dishing up. And I think when when you don't have a lot of numbers to work with, sometimes those less, how shall I put it? Sometimes those phony numbers get put up in front mm -hmm. to kind of fill in the gaps, but they shouldn't be there. So I was thinking about, you know, what is the difference between a good metric and a great metric? And I've got a couple of examples. So one thing you want to do is really make sure that the number that you're putting in front of people is a number that's going to resonate, resonate with 
your intended reader. So for example, if your number is 100 hours a week saved, okay, that might resonate with a CEO or a CFO because they really care about money and ROI and and things like that. But it might not resonate if your audience is a software engineer, for example. Mm. For the software engineer, they might care more about a 25% reduction in support tickets. Mm because support tickets are a hassle for them. It takes them away from the stuff that they want to be working on, for example. So that's one example of, you know, really thinking about the metric that matters to your intended audience. And then another another thing to keep in mind with metrics is the importance of context. Sometimes a number on its own really doesn't mean anything unless you know kind of the before state and the after Mm. state. So somehow you need to communicate the context as well. Um, So here's another little example. Going back to 100 hours saved. That could, 100 hours saved could be a good metric, but it's definitely not a great metric. A great metric would be more like the team is now 25% more efficient. Mm because of those 100 hours saved, which means the company can reduce headcount by two people because they're saving on two salaries. Mm. So that's more concrete. It's something that you can really wrap your hands around and it's it, it just paints a much better picture. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I get that. Let's talk about the next bit. Sure. That case studies are kind of underused. And what what I take that to mean, or what I kind of assume, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that a lot of companies get a case study and put a lot of time and effort into creating it and then put it on their website and that's it. <laughs> and then kind of hope people see it or maybe gate it or something like that. But, you know, that's it. And the point is, well, you could do so much more. Am I on the right track? And if yeah. so, what much more could you be doing? Yeah. So that would be the worst case scenario, right? Because it is time intensive. It's expensive. You know, it's, it's, it requires so many touch points from so many different people. So to, to finally get it approved and published and slap it on your website and that's it, that it's really a waste. So these are beautiful, versatile pieces of content. You need to squeeze every last ounce of of juice out of these suckers. So repurpose, repurpose, repurpose. One thing I like to encourage companies to do is put a standard practice around your case studies when you're in creation mode. So don't just do your standard written case study. Do a long form, a short form, do a video, do a video testimonial, do a written testimonial, do a pull quote do an audiogram, do some slides, do an infographic. And of course, don't forget social. Mm. Um, So those are some of the ways that you can repurpose it. And then, of course, you need to get it out into the world and in front of your target audience. So put them in your newsletter, use them in email nurture sequences, maybe use it in your email signature, Use them in sales calls, sales presentations, follow-up emails from sales, proposals, webinars, 
user conferences. I mean, the sky is really the limit, but the bottom line is get it out there. Stories work. Yeah. So kind of get it out there by any means possible. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever you, however else you get all, all your content out there, case studies really should be no different, I suppose. Yeah. And one other thing I think that people are starting to think a bit more about is you don't have to stick to the traditional challenge solution results. There are other ways of telling a compelling story. So for example, maybe you just take part of the story. Maybe it's just the implementation story, or maybe it's the adoption story, or it's a switcher story about, you know, changing from one company to a competitor, for example. So there's lots of different ways to package up a story and you don't have to tell the full story from A to Z or Mm. Z, I should say. (laughs) Um, You can choose sections of the story and maybe it's a series of stories. So be creative and really think about where where you're using this story in the buyer's journey, because maybe Mm. maybe you don't need maybe you just need one part of that story for where the person is in the buyer's journey. Yeah, okay, that that's interesting. Cuz I think we tend to typically think of case studies as more like bottom of the funnel kind of content. Yeah. But I think you're suggesting, well, not necessarily. Maybe part of that story could be more top of the funnel or middle of the funnel depending on who you're trying to talk to. And it can be after sales, it can be retention, mm. right? With an mm-hmm. adoption story, you're explaining how a customer learned the technology, brought the technology into other departments, you know, across the company, and maybe even started using it in different ways with different Mm -hmm. use cases. So there's cross-sell, upsell, retention aspects as well. Yeah. And then finally, the third one was video. So using more video. I, I I don't think anyone would be too surprised to hear that, right? Video is like such a popular type of content. So but let me ask, and, and this might just seem totally obvious, but why? Like, what will video add to a case study? I think it goes back to what we talked about a bit earlier in that everyone has their own preference of how they want to digest information. So by providing video, by providing written text, you're just you're giving it to people in different ways so that they can take it and run with it in the way that they prefer. I'll follow up with a little thing here. Sure. So, I mean, one thought that I've had is, you know, sometimes when I look at a case study and it's mainly just text or some infographics or whatever, I'm always a little like, how trustworthy is this? You know, I, I want to assume the best, but still, uh, you know, are they, how much are they cherry picking all the, you know, of course they want to put their best foot forward. One thing that maybe video could do is, you interview your client and, you know, so you get some sound bites of them in literally them, you know, telling you straight, straight to the camera, like, you know, what they think, what the, and, and what their experience has been. It, maybe there's a boost of authenticity there or something like that. That's a great point. I, I agree with you hundred percent. It definitely adds to the credibility. I've heard, I've heard your sentiment so many times. I think because I work in the world of case studies and we are doing all of these interviews, of course they're truthful. And 
authentic, but I can totally see it from the other side as well. Like, oh, they're just creating this story. It's not true. So yes, anything you can do to add credibility, video would be great. If you don't have video, then you want to add headshots of the customer so that you're at you know, giving their name, their job title, their company, a headshot that helps a bit more with that credibility piece. I think that one of the traditional issues with with video is just that it's it's traditionally been very expensive. It's it's, It's time intensive. You know, you have to fly a crew of videographers and editors somewhere. It's time intensive for the customer as well. So that's definitely been something that has uh, slowed down the uptake in video, I think. But now we're seeing lots of companies coming out with remote video capture platforms where where it's a little bit more self-serve and asynchronous. So it's definitely a more cost-effective way to capture those videos. Now, certainly the quality is not going to be the same as as having a professional crew go on location and shoot the video. But I also think with, with social media, we're getting used to those more selfie, you know, self-recorded videos and photos, and, and it's becoming the norm. And I think that's going to cross over into B2B as yeah. well. Yeah. I think it probably already is. At least I see some of that kind of stuff. So, okay, well, this is really interesting. There's so much more to say about case studies. So for our listeners who want to reach out and have questions, want to continue the conversation, what's the best way to connect? You can find out more about us on our website, upliftcontent.com, and you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Emily Amos. And that's A-M-O-S. Okay, excellent. Well, we'll put a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. And I'll put a link to the the blog post about the case study report. Yeah, that would be great. So yeah, a lot of good information in there. Well, Emily, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed the discussion. It was fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. That'll do it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can find the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. And as long as you're there, you might as well give us five stars and leave a comment about how much you love the show. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa. We are a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of really kick-ass content in just 60 minutes. Just 60 minutes. How is that possible? Well, check out our website to find out. That's Conversa with two N's, C-O-N-N-Versa.com. So thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate your support and we'll see you next time.